when you follow your longing with the choice, trust, and play, you <laughs> will be long to yourself. You will feel like you've connected to your birthright. And you will feel like you are talking to the cosmos, like you are connected to every layer of the self. Thanks to Shopify for supporting my podcast. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like myself the resources once reserved for big business. For a free 14-day trial and full access to Shopify's entire suite of features, go to shopify.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. We have such a good episode for you today. Kelly Carlin is here. She's amazing. She has so much to offer, so much wisdom. She is doing such incredible things, helping people, helping women to really grow and to expand. She also happens to be the daughter of George Carlin, the very, very, very famous, iconic, legendary comedian. We are going to have such an incredible conversation. You're going to really enjoy this. So I'm excited to dive in. Before we do, I just want to let you know that I'm going to be doing a big giveaway on my Instagram because I would like to give $1,000 to two amazing women to help support you and to help you grow your business, to grow your empire, to grow your dreams, to help you share your gifts with the world. Not only will two winners get $1,000 each, but you also get a gift card to Nordstrom. You also get a Women Can Do Anything t-shirt from Zadig and Voltaire, as well as a signed copy of my book. And you will get a gift card to use towards my retreat should you decide to go ahead and use that. And here's why. Because there's nothing more powerful than a collective of women who are connected and aligned. I believe that the way forward is radical support, radical support for one another, because together we are such a force for good. And this is why I like to say that playing small has got to be canceled. Mother Teresa said it takes a checkbook to change the world. So stop shrinking and being scared to raise your hand, go build your empire. And when you see a woman having the courage to put herself out there or make content or start a business or raise her prices or say what she thinks, praise her, support her, shine her crown and thank her. Let's start to see clearly that there is a giant opportunity for women to step into leadership and not just to be sweet and kind and beautiful, but also to be bold and fierce and strong. You can still be good and you can still have grace and you can also be a force to be reckoned with all at the same time. So if you head over to my Instagram, you're going to find this giveaway, but I think that it's just something extra I wanted to do this week is to put more support into this community. So if you would like to do the giveaway, just go to my Instagram at kathy.heller and you'll see it. All I'm going to ask you to do is review this podcast and I'm going to ask you to share one of my reels on your Instagram. Pretty simple. And you're going to be asked to tag a friend that you want to support as well. So that is all there is to it. I also wanted to say I am going to be in Malibu August 1st through the 3rd hosting such a beautiful retreat. We already have such an incredible group of women coming. This retreat is going to be just 
a rocket ship, just an open door to you. But the best, most delicious you, the, the, the future self, the things you really want to see manifest and made come to life, you're going to feel about a thousand tons lighter and you're going to see just how fast you can change the frequency and and receive such clarity. We are going to have a breathwork session, a sound bath. There is going to be tons of meditation and we're really going to go through some pretty deep work to change your relationship with abundance so that you are fully attuned to allowing it in because it's already done and it's already there. It's now just about releasing the blocks to the abundance in all areas so that the infinite amount of love and goodness and health and wealth all is just allowed to be received. If you want to join me in Malibu, you can go to kathyheller.com slash retreat and grab your spot. It's going to be so beautiful. It's at a beautiful ranch. It's actually the same ranch where I got married and it's really bougie and gorgeous, but also rustic. We'll have beautiful meals for you. We're going to have a party at the end. Everyone's going to wear their beautiful white linens or whatever you want to wear in white. It's going to be really classy and sexy and gorgeous. So if you want to be having the most expansive summer, find us kathyheller.com slash retreat. Can't wait to be with you there. All right. Well, you were in for a treat. Kelly Carlin is here. She's a writer. She's a producer, a radio host, a speaker, an author, a life coach. She's also an actress. Some of you might be familiar with her dad, as I was saying, maybe one of the most legendary comedians of all time, George Carlin. She's done so much. She's done a one-woman show and she wrote a book called A Carlin Home Companion, just to pull back the curtain on how it was to grow up with him and how she's been able to carve out her own identity. You can also now see the two-part documentary, George Carlin's American Dream. It's stunning. It really shows his rise to fame and opens an intimate window into his personal life, including his childhood, his struggle with drugs, his brushes with the law, his marriages with Kelly's amazing mom, Brenda, and his second wife, and a lot of the pieces that made him human. Kelly is one of the executive producers. It's directed by Judd Apatow and Michael Bonfiglio and my friend, my dear friend, Wayne Fetterman, who you've probably heard on the podcast because he's been here twice. He was also a producer on the documentary. So it's definitely a dream team that put this together and you can watch it on HBO Max. We talk a lot about the documentary and her dad's philosophy and the impact that had on her own beliefs, but we're also going to get into some of the phenomenal work that Kelly does as a coach to help people reconnect and align with their true self. She went to UCLA and studied Jungian psychology and has a lot of deep, deep understanding of the different Eastern philosophies. And I think that you're going to find it fascinating what she shares. There's just so much juicy mic drop advice that she gives about discovering who you are and how to give yourself permission to follow your joy and mend whatever toxic narrative you might have around money specifically. And considering that her father was a well-known anti-capitalist, you'd best believe that she had her own journey with that. It was such an honor and a delight to have her here. So I won't keep you waiting any longer. Without further ado, please welcome the extraordinary Kelly Carlin. Kelly, I'm really just so happy to meet you. It's really like a bucket list moment. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So excited to talk to you. I love what you're up to. I love the big conversation you're having in the world. So I'm all in. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Right before we officially started recording, I told you that my good friend, Wayne Fetterman, 
Uh, he was actually the first person we interviewed for this show. He was so generous. And then he came back again later on and he adores you. And he just finished uh, recently working on this beautiful project, a lot about your family and about your dad. And I think it's a good place to start because it came out recently and it's a movie that I think really has so many layers that really open a lot of doors for people. And then from there, I think that leads us right into hearing a lot about you and how you see the world. So let's talk about this project. What was it like for you to make this movie about your family? Well, you know, it's interesting because it's been 14 years since my dad died. And uh, I can't believe that. I can't believe I know. he's been it's, gone for 14 years. It's very weird. It's weird on so many different levels. And so a lot of people had approached us over the years, obviously. And my dad's manager is still alive. And he and I were really the protector and keeper of my dad's stuff. And so we were very picky, highly picky, because we knew we could be. And, I, you know, and I'm very much an, an intuitive person. If it if it hits my body a certain way, I know yeah. if it's right or not. And nothing quite fit. It was like, oh, that element's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Nothing quite fit. Then this gentleman named Teddy Leifer approached me about four years ago. UK producer had just won the Oscar for a documentary called Icarus, like the real deal on every level. And like he and I just connected in conversations. And I thought, you know, I could trust this man with anything in my life. Uh, and then the timing wasn't right for us. Uh, we were kind of w working on a, getting another project greenlit and that didn't happen. And then we jumped in, we jumped in late 2019 and got to interview a bunch of amazing documentary directors. And then we talked to Judd Apatow and it was like, check, 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 check. A comedian had done Gary Shandling's documentary. Gary was my mentor. So I knew what that documentary had revealed and how raw and real and beautiful it was. And the message that Gary wanted to gout his whole life was in it. And so, and I knew Judd just had a really high EQ and that was important to me. I needed a good storyteller, but someone with a big heart who also understood comedy. So it was incredible. And I, you know, I said to them, go do I don't want to be in charge of a narrative. I don't want to be approving things. I gave them some notes. I obviously steered them and we gave them access to everything. And I just said to them, I just don't want it to be a cavalcade of talking heads, talking like how great my dad is. Like that's the most boring thing ever. It is boring. And it's so boring. And there's some, you know, there's a lot of docs out like that. And it's easy because comedians will talk about anything for hours, as you know. But I said, I also want to learn something about my dad. I'd already worked on a solo show and a memoir called A Carlin Home Companion. And I'd already worked my narrative and kind of worked my dad's narrative and my family's narrative a lot. I've been in and out of therapy most of my life. So I kind of was like, you know, I know there's some rocks unturned around here, you know, so, and they did, they did, they did an amazing job of it. And really the most I've been involved in it day to day is since it's come out really to talk about it and to be the face of it out there. But I'm just so, so proud of what they did. Yeah. I think they did an incredible job way, way above and beyond my expectations. Yeah. It almost brings me to tears because, and I'm sure people watching felt that way because there's so many people who are famous. There's so many icons and your dad is absolutely an icon, but 
he wasn't famous because he's famous. He had so much to say in this world. It like literally brings me to tears and the layers to him and the heartbreaking idealist who had to come to terms with the way the world actually can be. Yeah. It's so beautiful and poetic. And oh my gosh, I can't imagine what he would think if he was here today, seeing the way people get canceled for things that they say is, it's just so layered and fascinating. I feel like everyone needs to watch this movie right now not because everyone's, there's no one who's not a George Carlin fan, but it's not that. It's the layers of his humanity mm-hmm. and how unrelenting he was to speak it out loud and the pain it caused him to see division in people. Yeah. And how he was willing to risk everything to say things that were true. It's just like, we need that now so badly. And so I yeah. really think that this movie is like medicine. And I agree with you because uh, the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling was so gorgeous. And mm-hmm. it's interesting that they chose to do both of these biopics because both of these men, Gary Shandling and your dad, there's a similar nature to where there's so much depth in this person. Just because yes. he makes you laugh, it's like he goes as far the other way, right? And what is it like for you? Because I've read some about you and I got to know a little bit about you in the movie. And, you know, you're sort of you've been on this journey as a seeker. Like, why are we here and looking at Buddhism and looking at, you know, what's the reason? What's the existential? You know, and how could you not be be, be in such inquiry having parents like you had? Um, <laughs> totally. But how how have you come through this journey and what do you think it is about your upbringing that both shaped you and also was sort of like contrast for you that helped you come out with what it is that you you kind of think about today in terms of like how you're living your life. Yeah, you know, I think, I mean, I've had my main journey and what I wrote my memoir about was really this thing where I didn't get to live my truth because we lived in an addiction family and a lot of people can relate to that story. (laughs) And I think that's overall, at least I feel, is the biggest struggle we all have living in a capitalistic modern culture is what is our deepest truth versus how the world needs us to be in order to function and survive and and succeed and and things like that. And so a, a lot of my journey has been about you know, when you have a father like George Carlin, who's speaking big truth to the world and is right about it 99% of the time, at least you feel, it's hard to find your own place inside of that. Yeah. What's, what's, what could I say or see that he hasn't already said or seen in that way? So I think there was always an unconscious limiter around me with that, that shadow that we talk about being in the shadow of our parents or the shadow of an older sibling sometimes. So that I think that really, I had to grow up a lot as people will see when they watch the documentary, if they haven't yet, uh, there was some trauma in my childhood and I needed time to find my feet and find my way into the world. And that really did not happen until my thirties. And then I really didn't claim myself until after my mom died in 97. That was my mid thirties. So it's, it's been this incremental expansion of my voice, my yeah. belief that I have the right to be here. And then 
you know, both my parents were seekers always, like spiritual seekers. Obviously, my dad took a lot of acid. That was one of his ways of rising his consciousness. So that conversation, that what's the meaning of life conversation was always in our family and like things like synchronicities and things. We always talked about that kind of stuff. So there was like this openness to kind of the magic of life. And I was always, always fascinated with that. And so I did, you know, after my mom died, I really kind of came out as a, like, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. And I, you know, uh, pursued Buddhism, Thich Nhat Hanh path. Most and, beautiful man who's walked the earth. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. Yeah. It's just, and he's grounded me so much in the last nine months too, just listening to his stuff again, yeah, uh, that, and then really getting very interested in Jungian and post Jungian depth psychology and the whole idea of archetypes and mythology and, how psyche, the collective psyche versus the individual psyche, like really fascinated with with that and got to get my master's in that, which was fabulous. And that really shapes most of my thinking, those two things. And they helped me make sense of the world in some ways. And my dad was always fascinated by that stuff too. He'd always ask me questions, you know, what are you learning? What is this? What is that? You know, so he was an absorber like I was too. Yeah. 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 I also want to just acknowledge, because you mentioned her a few times, your mom just, you know, a lot of times you you know about famous people, but you don't know about the people they're married to and the way in which she supported him. And it's not just be like, oh, great. Yeah. Have a good show. No, like you want to do what? I'm in, I'm going to help you. I'm going to open doors for you. Like she was such a powerhouse and to be a woman working in show business and to go through her own addiction and to get back on her feet and to then be such a catalyst for him. Like what an incredibly divine pairing, right? Yeah. The two of them got put together Yeah. no matter what. And they, everybody has stuff that comes up in their marriage, but how they served each other. And then yeah. they, of course, they would make someone so beautiful like you. And because you you really have so much humility, which is very much a trip, right? Because the ego does a lot of interesting things when they're, you're born into a famous family. And the second you came on, you just were so beautiful and generous. And I think that's such a testament to both of your parents. And like I said, the word before, the humanity of both of yeah. your parents. Yeah, I feel so blessed to have both of them in my life. And and really so happy my mom's story is out there because she was a woman of a certain age and a certain time. Um, you know, my parents were a little older than the, than the younger kids in the sixties. They were the middle generation. They were the, you know, my dad was 30 in 1967 and my mom was 30 in 1969. So they were in this interesting place. So my mother was half in that really traditional world. And both of them were definitely counterculture people. Oh, yeah. And so to have that generation, that particular age of that woman get her story told and my mom in particular has been really important to me because people don't understand that my dad was a, a radical in a lot of ways and yet would not let my mother get a job when I was a little girl because he didn't want me being a latchkey kid like he was. You know, he was suddenly this traditional guy, too. And it kind of crushed my mom and and really confused her. And she had a big crisis because of it. And then she was already alcoholic. So it just added to it. But but that struggle of that generation to find their footing, to find their voice, and then to find it in the shadow of someone 
you know, like my dad, who rightfully so was big and had a, a very large spotlight on him. Yeah. And then your mom, for anyone who hasn't seen the documentary, goes on to be one of the first people involved with HBO before HBO became. Yeah. I mean, it, she was just so ahead of her time as a woman in that time and also to bounce back and forth between living in one state of her life with being a mom with going through an addiction but finding her way out every single time back I love that they put such a spotlight on her story I Mm want to tell Wayne actually that that was this whoever's was behind that like that gave so much I, I was surprised pleasantly surprised that she had such a big part of the the movie and rightfully so so let's, we're going to move on more, you know, into like what you said happened for you mostly in your thirties and in 1997, as you said, after your mm-hmm. mom passed and claiming yourself. But before we do, if we could just sort of pick one thing that you're hoping that by people watching this documentary, they will come to understand about your dad that they might not have understood. What do you think is one thing that this documentary leaves them knowing that sort of helps them really see who he was. I think it's, it really is his personal story, his own personal struggle at times with being a husband, being a father, being a son, and his struggle with his art, that everyone thinks he had this kind of career that just always kept going up. And he was always the guy. He was, you know, he and Pryor were always the two guys because my dad never spoke about his personal life in public on stage. He was not Richard Pryor. He would not unzip his life on stage. He never talked about his addiction. A little bit here and there he did. Always joking, always very distanced from it. So for me, always it has been about, and part of my mission in life is to help people see that we can all take off our masks. We're all human. And we're all just human beings trying to figure it out in the end. And it's not, it's never to take my dad off of his pedestal. It's really to to rise people up basically to his level. Like we can all touch the gods and be human because it's through our humanity and through our obsessions and our curiosities is where we find our divinity in the end. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the, you know, the, really the human man is the part that I think is so important. And to really understand too, that he wasn't angry. He was disappointed. He was a broken hearted human because there was so much potential with this species and so much potential in this country. And we've all just let ourselves be distracted by the next shiny object and isn't that the story that all of the great prophets have been teaching us for 5,000 years? Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, this clip in the doc where Roseanne is talking to him. Greatest clip ever. It's so good. And she says to him, I'm on to you. You're not a cynic. You're a brokenhearted idealist. And he goes, yeah, not in that many words, but I have come to think that about myself. And it's so good that she got it. She like nails it. And I had seen him a few times. I was lucky enough to see him. And I saw him uh, must have been like 2003 or 2004 um, in L.A. And he was so upset. He was in this place where he was just talking about what is going on in this world. And I was in tears because he was so upset. Yeah. And everyone was listening. And that was the good thing is he had a captive audience 
And at a certain point in the show, like he stopped making jokes and he was just like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. And I remember walking out of there thinking this man just used his whole platform to really sit and say like how not okay this is. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, who cares this much that they're like willing to spend an hour saying, no, 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 you're not hearing me. You're not getting it. And I thought there's so much here. But when I saw the movie, it really clicked for me. Like he was so disappointed because he believed so much in people and what we could be. And the fact that we weren't, it was so devastating to him because he was such a sensitive person. One more thing I want to ask you about this and then we'll move on is in terms of being, like you said, like he had this ability to be a disruptor. And we live in a time where it's just so hard to say what you really think because people have one way that they have to hear it or say it. And so there's not a lot of discussion anymore. There's a lot of just like, this is what it is, or it's this way. And especially in comedy, it was funny when the documentary where he's like, I need to go to college campuses so I can actually say what I think. And it's like, like, no, you can't go to college campuses. No, like you can't (laughs) say anything. Like you're like, it's, it's horrible. Like people have no space for it. I'm just curious, like of all the people to ask, like, what's your take on that? And how do you think we could maybe improve as a species with that? It's, it is the big question right now. Uh, you know, I went back to UCLA late uh, when I was 25 and I was a communications major. And in 1990, I did a political correctness symposium and my dad was on the panel. Oh my God. 1990, we were discussing this on campuses. That's when it started showing up on campuses and in the world. Uh, so it's it's just a, an ever you know growing phenomena. Uh, you know the the way I have dealt with this myself is a, another thing I study is integral philosophy, the Ken Wilber stuff, and basically it's helped me so much really understand that there's like three factions of worldview that are kind of duking it out right now. There's the traditional worldview, which is one country, one God believes in their guns, believes in their second amendment, believes in their religion, conservatives. Then there's the modern thinkers who are more capitalists, uh, market mentality, uh, you know, innovation, science, reason on that level, you know, it's property over people kind of a stuff. And then there's the greenies. There's the the green meme, uh, which is all the postmoderns. Everyone's equal. Everyone needs to have a voice. You know, the most progressive, you know, everyone's got to have a pronoun. Everyone's got an identity. All that all, stuff. As you describe them all, I'm like, oh, as she keeps describing, it's like each one starts to feel uncomfortable because each one starts to feel right. extreme, extreme. Exactly. Because <laughs> the thing about, and then there's this integral leap you make. This is the other part of it. And so with these three things, each one of them only have their own worldview and only believe that worldview is right. That's the problem. No one else could be right. And that's the problem. But the integral worldview sees that every single one has something to offer us. Of course. You have to have a certain amount of traditional law and order keep, you know, like there's, there's, there's values in that that are so important. There's values in modern thinking, reason, science, all that kind of important, you know, and really also the green planet, people are equal, equity, everyone has a voice, everyone has an identity, all of them are important, they all have something to teach us. Yeah. So I think there's more and more of us who sit outside in this integral view, kind of watching these three, 
because, and we all tune up with some part of them. We right. all get it. And we're just, we are shredded apart because they're not getting it yet. And they're kind of running the machine of the culture, these three. The, yeah. And so this has helped me. I started studying this in about 2005. This has helped me make sense of it. Like my dad, who loved to step away from the species and kind of watch it. He was an integralist before that was even a thing. And he could see all of the factions fighting. And I think that's why every single one of these claim my father for something. So, so the, the traditionalists claim him for the anti-PC, the libertarian sure. speech stance. The science atheists claim him for the science reasoning thing. And then the Greens, of course, claim him for the never punch down, always punch up. The system is rigged. You know, greed is bad. Capitalism is going to undo us. And so everyone has a stake in my dad. And then they all come at me and say, well, your dad would do this and your dad would do that. And I'm like, no, (laughs) you know, so I've started talking about it in this way to get people to kind of understand it. It It makes so much more sense. We had Marion Williamson on the show and she was saying something I love, which is like this, like, you know, let's say there's two camps of the way she was talking about, you know, Democrats or Republicans, at least mm-hmm. in one in one world where there's two. She said, it's not red and blue. It's purple. She goes, this country is all purple. It is. You know, there's yeah. only like fringes that are blue and red. The rest yep. is purple. And we have to learn to be together. And we have to learn to say that most of the time we're really purple because who on earth would be so only this or only that, like nobody is built that right. way. And, that's so sh- and yet our social media and everything horrible. feeds this, feeds yeah. the extremes because yeah. the extremes always get the most attention. Ugh, it's you exhausting. Know, the, it is, it is. So yeah. we just all need to just have these con- kind of conversations over and over again. Let everyone know you're not alone. Yeah. You have all these people inside of you. You have all these worldviews inside of you and you know, and take the best and the richest of each and build a life on that. Yeah, it's so true. I, uh, I lived in, in Jerusalem after college for three years and, you know, just had the most incredible journey and met so many incredible Jews and Arabs and Christians and Armenians and like, you know, and I lived in Spain for a semester and I'm like, people around the world are so good and we have all so, so much in common and then leadership around the world just usually doesn't represent the people just so yep. weird because you have like seven or eight billion people who mostly are the same and then you have 300 humans who run the whole thing who are egomaniacs and they're the ones telling us who we are and it's just like yeah clearly you don't represent us like look what's happening with guns like everyone in the country seems to be saying one thing and the leadership is like no sorry can't do anything about that we're like Okay, so it just it's time to wake up and it's time to start talking about being integral and purple and all of the things that really yep. ground us in like, okay, this feels true. This conversation is so good. Before we keep going, we should thank our sponsor. I love that sound. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify believes in liberating commerce for all because as we know from the show, entrepreneurship has the power to drive communities forward and commerce can be a force for good. Supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success for a free 14-day trial. Go to shopify.com slash dreamjob, all lowercase. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving you the resources once reserved for big business, customized for you with a great looking online store that brings your idea to 
your life and tools to find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. I love how Shopify makes it easy for anyone to make their ideas come to life and run their own thriving business. You don't even need any coding or design experience to build your online store because they give you the knowledge, the confidence, and the resources to help you succeed. Shopify opens a portal to endless possibilities and powers millions of entrepreneurs from first sale to full scale. And every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. Plus, they have 24-7 support, so you're never alone. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash dreamjob, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash dreamjob right now. Those of you listening, so, you know, Kelly has gone on to not just be such a seeker, but she's been helping women through courses and coaching and helping people find their path. Let's talk about that uh, because I know so many of the women listening could benefit so much from what you do. How did you get into that? And what are you, what are you hoping to do with that work? So when I came out of grad school, got my master's in counseling psychology with an emphasis on Jungian depth psychology, I knew I didn't want to become a therapist. I didn't want to be in the room. I didn't want to do that work. It was too triggering for me. So I I got certified as a coach because I really wanted to be a meaningful conversation is just my jam. Like whether it's on a podcast or with a client or on a panel, I don't care. I just want to be having meaningful conversations (laughs) with people. It's just, it fills my life with everything. It it is like the biggest non-negotiable value in my life. And so I started doing that a little bit. And then my dad died in 2008 and I Uh, If you read my memoir, you will see that one of my dances with my dad was I was a personal storyteller. I was telling personal stories. I wanted to tell my my life story after my mom died. And it made my dad uncomfortable. He was not of the Oprah generation. I was. And I was okay with it. Spalding Gray was my hero. Karen Finley was my hero. So when my dad died, I knew it was time for me to step on a stage and find my voice and a spotlight. And I did that from 2008 to about 2016, 2017. I had a solo show and then my memoir came out and I was out in the world. And social media was a thing. I love that you did that. And just owned it. And I had some people saying to me, you know, is it weird? You know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to take care of your dad's legacy. You don't have to do all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, if I don't walk through this and own that I'm a Carlin and I'm a unique person and walk through the legacy and talk about my relationship with them, I will have pretend that it doesn't exist. I can't do that. That's not who I am. So what happened then in like 2017 is I just hit one of those (laughs) life phases where I was like, okay, what do you do once your dream comes true? Like having a memoir out, you know, with the real nice big publisher was my dream for 20 years. So what the hell do you do? And Gary Shamling had just died and he was my mentor. And I was like, Gary, where are you? <laughs> I Because Gary had refathered me since my dad died, all this kind of stuff. So I started to write a book about all this and I called it, I wanted to call it Untangling Daughterhood. And then a part of me, and I tried to work it, I tried to work it. And a part of me was like, oh, I've just been George Carlin's daughter for like eight years in public. I don't want to do that anymore. I need to find my individual self and and my work in the world again. And so I pulled away from the book, but everything that I started to outline in the book, which was, how did I find my voice? How did I step into my spotlight? What did I have to untangle to do that? What happened was totally unconsciously is I hired a business coach and she said, you're a coach already. You've got all this training, create a year long program. Like that's how you 
create a great stable, stable business is do a year long program. Let's stabilize your finances, all this kind of stuff. I had to get really clear about my dependence on my father emotionally and financially my whole life. I had to do a lot of inner work around that. So just in the developing of that, I turned towards these great teachers that I'd had. Maureen Murdoch and the heroine's journey is a huge influence on my life. I studied with her at Pacifica when I got my grad stuff. And so I just started putting this program together to help women mostly who are at a time in life where they've done it. They've either been the mom or they've been in the career long enough, or they've been in the thing and they've been the good girl with the pat on the head. They've done it the way the cultures wanted it for them to do it. And there's still a sense of lack of meaning or purpose, or even really knowing who they are because they kind of put all of that in the basement at some point in order to comply like we all do. And I just created this program, some content, some curriculum, some calls. And now it's been, I'm in my fourth year now and I have a year long program, women on the verge that's shifting. That's going to be called something like on the verge. Are you on the verge? Because for four years, men have been saying to me, (laughs) please, We need this because the patriarchy is crumbling. So that's happening. I have a little three-month version of it called True North. And I'm now like creating all this. I've created all this content. I'm now actually putting it out into the world in different forms. And it's just all kind of really happened organically. And I've pulled every aspect of everything I've ever learned, everything I'm fascinated by, everything I've lived through to make this journey happen for women or men to find their their thread, their soul path, their thing that lights them up while at the same time creating abundance for themselves, creating structure for themselves, creating, you know, whatever it is they want for themselves. And I'm shocked at the at what I've been doing the last four years. It's been incredible. It is incredible and I'm so glad that you're also including men on this journey down to because Justin Baldoni was here and I'm sure you know what the work he's doing with men and his new book, Man Enough. And it's all about, you know, really what about masculinity can be positive and can be beautiful. How can can we reclaim it? And you were talking about women who are in that place where it's like, I've got the pat on the head, but I just don't feel fulfilled. Let's talk about that for a second. Yep. What does it require to step into authenticity, to step into Mm. our integrity with ourselves? Yeah, it's a great question. And the first thing I always teach and talk about is turning toward ourselves, being willing to turn our back on the world. As women, we are shaped by our obligation to the world. The world expects us to turn towards it. And we naturally are engaged. We are connected, relationship-oriented beings, the feminine is. And that's for men too. It's for everyone in between, every spectrum and pronoun. We all have these two energies. But I think the culture really trains us in some ways to sacrifice turning towards ourself or our ambition or our curiosity in service of the harmony of the space. And so the first thing I have women do and talk about, and sometimes they spend the whole first year with me just learning to turn towards themselves. 
So that's witnessing themselves through meditation, journaling, learning to connect to their intuition, their desire, what they actually want, and to be able to withstand the anxiety that comes up when we turn away from the roles and relationships that have fed our identity, that have given us success, that have given us meaning even. There's nothing wrong with being a mother. There's nothing wrong with being a career woman who didn't have kids, didn't have a family. None of that's wrong. It's just that we've only attached ourselves to that and our meaning and our identity. And really, I think what's calling us is this deeper thing that wants to be seen and heard. And because I've studied Jungian psychology and a lot of the work we do is with the deep imagination and the imaginal and dreams, I also bring women into relationship with their inner life, their inner fantasy, their inner dream life, inner allies, all the different parts of us and the voices within us, our ancestors. There's all, there's this kind of different realm that some people call it magical thinking. It's not, we have an imagination. Man, woman, human has been doing this since day one. It brings richness. And it's one of the ways I think that I'm different than most coaches. You know, most coaches, we have a lot of coaching training. We have a lot of ways of doing powerful questions, things like this. I bring them into these depth processes, active imagination, guided imagery, and bring that element in it to help them learn to have a relationship with their deeper, richer vast inner self also. So that's the first thing is that turning toward self and being willing to withstand the anxiety that you have to withstand when you turn away from the world. It's so delicious and exciting. I'm like, I want to be a part of one of your programs because it's just so cool how you embody and explain what you just expressed. Let's talk about that for a second, because I've spoken now to hundreds of thousands of women who listen to the show and a few good guys too. And it almost feels as though that muscle of magical thinking, it's so magical because it feels so impossible. Like Mm -hmm. anything that you could possibly think of with your imagination, all of a sudden, if you're two seconds into that thought, you're like, I could never do that. That's completely impossible. And I don't feel like I'm good enough anyway. Even if somebody handed me my own memoir, like I don't even feel worthy of having my own memoir, but it also doesn't feel possible. So how can we learn to practice that muscle of our imagination? You know, I think of Walt Disney flying over Swampland in Anaheim and going, do you see it? Look, look again. You know, I mean, it's like, is that magical? No, it's called having an imagination. It's called having vision, right? It's exactly, it is visioning. Exactly. Yeah. So how do we learn how to get back into use of that muscle of that part of our more expansive self when there's something in the subconscious BS belief system that's like, that's not even possible. Why would you even think that thought? Yeah. So what I've created is there's three particular skills that we need to practice in order to do this. One of which is to really get that we are in choice. We Mm. have a choice. 
we don't think we have a choice because that other voice comes walking in and says, well, that's stupid. Or that's the, it's always, and that's just the protector voice, right? The coaches call it saboteurs, gremlins. It's just a protector. And it came on board when we were about four or five years old. So we see it as part of integrating of who we are. It's built on a four or five-year-old's version of reality. Guess what? Four-year-olds don't know reality. They are magical in their thinking in a lot of great ways. But when it comes to protection, they see the world in a very, very particular way. And it's very much confined about what, what I have to do to have daddy and mommy love me forever. So it's a protector voice. So we need to learn that we have real choice and that that protector voice does not get a say in that choice anymore. It just doesn't get a vote because it's it's overprotective. It's the, it's the ultimate helicopter parent is what okay. that protector voice is. I'm like taking notes. I'm like, I have to take notes right now. And so then the second skill is trust. You have to learn to trust your body, yourself. This is part of that relationship with your intuition and your inner life, your wishes, your desires, your imagination, but also trust that there is something bigger than your ego. And I don't care what you call it. My dad called it the big electron. Uh, You know, (laughs) people in AA and 12 steps call it a higher power. Some people it's God. Some people it's the goddess, Gaia energy, the whatever it is for you. But there is something bigger than your ego. And it's your entire psyche, which about, you know, I don't know, 70, 80, 90% of it is unconscious. It's where all the magical visioning is, is happening. So trusting, you have to take a leap of faith into trusting something. And then the third thing is doing, and you have to do in order to learn what you're capable of and that the world doesn't fall apart and the earth doesn't open if you make choices about what you really want and go for it, but you have to do it with an attitude of play. So the third skill is play. You have to be willing to improvise and be in the laboratory of life. And this is where a lot of women I work with are perfectionists. So the perfectionist walks in the room. I want to know what's going to happen beforehand. It's got to be perfect. So I'm all about lowering the bar and just throwing spaghetti on the wall. And in the end, it's all just information. So then you throw spaghetti on the wall. Did it work? Did it feel right? Is it moving you towards what you want? It's just information. Take the next step, play, choose, trust, play, choose, trust, play. And through that, and this is what I did in order to get on a stage. This is what I did to, to write my memoir. This is what I did to step out into the world as George Carlin's daughter taking care of his legacy. All these things. This is what I did to create this business. I just trusted that there is some bigger conversation having having me. I'm part of it. it you know, it's having me. I'm not having it. Yeah. And through that... There's this, oh, I'm not in charge. Oh, I'm just here to shift energy. I'm just here to try things out. It's not the end of the world because four or five-year-old inner protector thinks everything is going to be the end of the world if it doesn't go right. I'm literally sitting here speechless because Kelly, and I really hope you'll receive this, that your soul receives this, not even your ego, although your ego can receive it a little bit too, but we've had like... (laughs) We've had every good 
coach on this show and they're all amazing and I love them. And I'm so grateful to be mentored by so many of them. You're so good at this. Thank you. You're so good at it. And I'm sitting here just like dumbfounded because this is one of my favorite episodes we've ever done because the beginning of the conversation is so juicy because obviously everybody knows who you are and who your family is. And so we have this like meaty conversation because they weren't just famous people. They were like, you know, your dad was somebody with something to say. And we talk about that. And then there's this whole other thing that you decide to raise your hand to be a part of. How many people don't find it and don't do it because they don't know how to step out into, I have my own assignment. And guess what? So much of that is because the world doesn't require it of them. They say, oh, you're the, you're Prince Harry. Oh, you're Jim Henson's kid. Oh, whatever. Great. You're done. Don't do. And you said, no, I know that there's something I care about that I really want to do. And you're so good at it. And it takes so much humility, by the way, for your ego to go ahead and do anything because the world sees you as royalty almost. So it's like, yeah, wait, she's a princess. So why is she doing anything? And honestly, like you could have lived on that royalty because you, you, you already had a seat at that table. And you're like, yeah, I'm coming over to everyone's table. And I'm just like, and you're so good at it. So now to go back to, I just had to share that with you. To go back to these pieces, I'm taking notes. I love this, that the four-year-old self, right, has a view of reality. I love what you said because we want to be loved by our parents. So, oh my gosh, that's so fascinating. And then this idea, I really, I circled it as I, boy, do I want to learn this. You said, learning to trust yourself, learning to trust your body, learning to trust your wishes. I mean, I've never heard anyone say that. And it's so key, right? It's like, Why don't we know how to trust ourselves? Like if you have a thought, why on earth did you put that on the shelf for 20 years? That was your intuition. So how do we do that? You know, Kathy, I just want to talk about the people who have influenced our culture. They know how to trust themselves from day one. They got something that the rest of us didn't get. And I'll use my father as a great example of that. He trusted something in himself. He was like 10 years old on a stoop doing jokes, mimicking the priests and the teachers. He was winning the drama award at summer camp. You know, he trusted himself. He trusted something that he had and he kept seeing. And because he would do, he would get the feedback. So then the trust grows. I oh, see. oh, oh, this is, this is in tune with what I feel and see. That's why the doing part is so important because in a vacuum, we can't learn to trust in a vacuum. When we're hiding in our house, <laughs> this is the non-trust because trust has to do with relationship. Relationship with speaking your truth to a partner, speaking a truth to a client, speaking a truth to the audience. There's a trust that has to be willing to be sussed out. And, and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes we put it out there and it's not the right audience or I haven't found the right way to say it yet or I'm in the wrong family. You know, people grow up and they're and they feel like they're in the wrong family, you know, and they go have to have to have. But it's it's this thing. So when you look at these people who have influenced you in your life and who are heroes for you, you know, Deepak and Marianne and I think of Oprah, I think of Elizabeth Gilbert, I think of like all these people out there having these big, big conversations they trust something. 
Mm-hmm. And the only reason they trusted is because they had to take a risk at some point to see if what their insides were feeling was what the world needed. Yeah. And so it's just about experimenting with that to find the conversation wow. you're here to have. It could be a small one. It could be a big one. You don't have to be Oprah. You could be the person who like happens to get the kids in the neighborhood and, you know, teaches them to garden because you love plants and you just know how to talk to 10 year olds. You know, it's like, who knows? Yeah. It's interesting because it goes back to that overprotector, like you said, because my friend Mark Grove said to me all day long, we have two choices, authenticity or belonging. And nine times out of 10, we choose belonging. So then he said, but who do you really belong to? Because now you don't belong to yourself. So how could you belong to anyone else? And I know for myself, I grew up in a house where there was a lot of, there was violence, there was alcohol, my parents got Mm -hmm. divorced, there was a lot of things going on around me. And my best coping strategy was to make sure everybody was okay. And so I am such a good pleaser. I am amazing at it. I can morph into being anything for anyone. Yep. I know your path, girl. I've I've walked it and lived it too. I get it. This word belonging is huge because ultimately we don't have to choose between the two. Because when you turn towards yourself, learn to trust, learn to choose, learn to play, learn to witness yourself, learn to connect, and learn to connect to the depths of yourself. And part of that is this deep imagination work that I do in a way. Part of the access to belonging is to follow your longing. And when you follow That's so your, beautiful. I love when that. you follow your longing, really follow it with the choice, trust, and play. You will belong to yourself. You will feel like you've connected to your birthright and you will feel like you are talking to the cosmos. Like you are connected to every layer of the self, physical, spiritual, you know, all the different selves. Mm -hmm. This is what I've been studying, especially the last four years through this, you know, high-end integrated depth psychology stuff that I've been working on. And it's incredible. And I love that you brought up that word because it is the magic portal to all of this. I love it too. And I love what you just said. If you follow the longing, you're going to find your way to the belonging. It's so gorgeous. And I think about Daniel Pink has been here a couple of times and recently wrote a book on regrets and Bronnie Ware Mm -hmm. was here and she wrote a book on the five biggest regrets of the dying. And both of them, their research showed very similar things that the the main thing that people say that they're regretful of in, in the end of their days is not living life on their terms. Like yes. all these things that never materialized. And I think about recently, Ethan Hawke a couple of years ago did this beautiful Ted talk on creativity. And in the middle of it, he talked about his grandmother who left her memoir. And in this memoir, maybe it was, let's say, I don't know, 50 pages. He said, and I don't remember the exact number, but the point is the same. He goes of the 50 pages, she wrote 11 pages on one summer where she made costumes at a theater. Mm. And he goes, this is a woman who had this many children, lived through two world wars, had two husbands, had gone through this, gone through that. 11 pages on costumes. One summer, one summer where she sewed costumes. 
And I think about that and how many people I know are like, yeah, I'd love to make those costumes. Mm. I've always wanted to make those costumes, but Mm. it just wasn't a way to make them. And then you get to 98 and you go, God, I wish I would have made those costumes. Yes. Right. And so I love that this is like what you're zeroing in on because we can't have this anymore, Kelly. We can't have a society. It's no wonder. I mean, even what you spoke about before with the the purple people, right? The people who yes. are not purple. The per- right? Why are we so obsessed with what's going on in the government anyway? It's like, we're not busy belonging yeah. to ourselves. So it's like, let's just get on a chat room and argue with each other. Like, yeah. Why is that even so interesting? It's not that interesting anyway. It's like, be more interesting to see everybody on the block, just use your own hands and make make the community shine by being yourself. Well, and I, I think, you know, what happened is at some point we, you know, we did the the spirit mind split, you know, the soul, the soul, the physical and the non-physical split that happened, you know, through the age of enlightenment, which thank God, you know, we have medicine, we have, you know, we have this technology, it's amazing. But what we've forgotten is that what really makes us alive and really what brings meaning to our life is following this this longing and we've been convinced that the machinations of government and business and commerce as much as that's important to keep like goods flowing and all of us to have food and shelter which is ultimately what it's all about and you know from the beginning food and shelter that's really all we needed but that we become obsessed with the machinations of it thinking that we have some power to change it when we know at this point we don't. The institutions have been dying for 60 years. It's what the counterculture was about in the 60s. Now they're in like some sort of death knell. And now we have the planet condition the way it is. And I think the only way we're going to get through it as a species is to get that. Of course, we're going to always going to have to come together as a collective to decide how these things are done and how we share things in some way. But the meaning of life, the quality of life happens here in our bodies every day with what we're doing with our hands and our lives with each other. Mm, it's so, so gorgeous. And the last thing I want to ask you as we're wrapping up is you also said something which feels a little bit revolutionary because as you were sharing what it is that you do, what you help people to do is you also said, and also abundance, helping people to step into that. And that's interesting because people who know your dad and maybe would kind of like decide who you are, a lot of times people have this thought that you could either be a really good person and you could have dreams and you could want to make costumes, but that person wouldn't also be available to make a lot of money because people Mm -hmm. who make money are inherently evil. So therefore you shouldn't be available for abundance because that just puts you right back into this place where you won't belong to anyone good. And I don't agree with that at all. And I heard you say that and I was like, hmm, so how do you reconcile that you could actually be available to have plenty, to have plenty of food and water and even extra to give away and still be a person with integrity? Yeah, Kathy, this is something I've had to dismantle the last four years uh, working with an incredible business coach who works on abundant stuff and 
you know, because my dad was pretty much like an anti-capitalist in right. many, many That's ways. Right, that's why I'm asking, and yeah. Money is evil. It only equals greed. Uh, and I have had to come to terms with that to really understand, and this is a phrase that my business coach taught me, which is build a better business, build a better you, build a better business, build a better world. It's the oxygen mask metaphor. I can't help you if I don't have enough oxygen. I have to have enough oxygen. I don't need to be a billionaire. I do not understand the billionaire mentality. Like those people have enough money for a gazillion lifetimes. And unless they're really using it to save the planet, I don't freaking get it. So, you know, hoarding is not okay. Nothing in nature hoards. Like, let's just look at nature. I need my thing. I have abundance. We have safety. We have security. And now the energy flows out and everything like that. So we have to stop making money bad, wealth bad, abundance bad, shadow. It becomes shadow. It runs your life either way. You're either running towards it all the time or running away from it. How about we start to see it as an exchange? And I have found the more that I've stepped into being able to ask for a certain level of value for my program, you know, calling people forth into their value. The more I learn to do that, the more I receive and the more I get to build a company where more people are being fed, their families are being taken care of, and I get to have a bigger impact because I get to be more well-known about it or more trusted or whatever that thing is. And I get to reach more people, which means all those people that I've worked with are going out and doing that too in their own ways, in their own lives. Exactly. Um, so it's it really is this thing where we have to get out of the black and white thinking around oh, yeah. everything. Oh yeah. You know. So yeah. that's the bottom line with it, and that's the thing about abundance and wealth and money is. Yeah. We have a lot of growing up in this country to do a, a, around this issue, as we clearly can see. Yeah, and I love the quote from Mother Teresa herself, which is, "It takes a checkbook to change the world." Mm-hmm. And it's great because you think about how many people have their names on buildings of hospitals and museums and theaters because they care about making the world more enriched for other people. And, you know, the Talmud has a great idea of, of how this works, where it says that like money is like rain falling on a garden. So if you're inherently out of integrity, you're a weed, more of that grows. But if you have integrity and you're like roses and hydrangeas and money falls into your egos, you're going to grow that. Like, that's what's going to grow. Like money is not the decider. We can think of people right now in our lives. We'll name them. No, I'm just kidding. But we can both think of people who have a lot of money who are terrible. And we can think of people who have a lot of money who are the reason why so many good things have happened. And the same thing with poor people. You can think of people who have very little, who are very generous and very little, who are terrible right? Not the money. Yeah. And if you think of it as currency, it's all it is, is currency. And what is the root of currency? The root of the word is current is flow. So it's just a way of flowing energy. Yeah. It's flow. It's movement in the end. That's so money happens to be currency in capitalistic society. There's many, many different ways to have currency. Right now, it is, and we're living, you know, it's it's late capitalism, but we're here still. It's still about the, the almighty dollar. I never heard that before, the word current. 
at first I was like, why, why is it current? Like modern. And she's like, no, like a current, like a river. And when Barbara Corcoran was here and she's a billionaire, she said, money is like blood in the body. It has to keep moving. So she said, as soon as money is coming in, I've already earmarked it for something. I'm already buying a building. I'm already hiring three more people. I'm already doing this. I'm already doing that. And to see a woman spitfire billionaire like her, who is just like, I came from 11 kids, like never went to call it. It's like, hell yes. You know, but she said something that's similar to that. So I love that you're doing this work. Where can people find you? Where can they sign up for one of your programs? Where can they watch the, and let them know where they can watch the, the documentary that came out. So the documentary is on HBO Max and HBO. It's called George Carlin's American Dream. <laughs> uh, you can find me at my website, uh, the Kelly Carlin site. Uh, and you can, you'll sign up for my mailing list right away. If you would, I do something called Monday musings. It'll land in your inbox. It's a little quote or poem. And then I ask a powerful question for the week. Uh, if you're interested in particular in women on the verge, I have a landing page for that. And it's women on the verge coaching.com. And that is by application and, uh, usually a conversation with me. I have a new course that'll be starting in September. I just finished it, the first run of it. It's called True North. It's for men and women. It's a three-month course where I help you find Turn Toward Self. You learn about some of these skills. We practice them. It's kind of a quick learning of all of it, but there's some time to, to work it, work the material. And then there's always a chance to work with us more after the course. So that'll be happening in September again. And I'm, you know, starting to write again. I'm probably going to move back into my podcasting space, which is waking from the American dream. And the reason I call it that is because my dad's line, which is part of the documentary, which is, you know, you, uh, it's called the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe in it. And yet there are ideals and there are things about the American dream and the whole concept of waking up into whether it's enlightenment or waking your own powers up, or waking into integral thinking, there's something beyond the old version of the American dream. And so that's why I called the podcast Waking from the American Dream. Haven't done it in a few years. I'm going to start it up again. But there's some great episodes. Marion Williamson's been on mine also. Uh, Gary Shandling, some Buddhists, all sorts of amazing people. Uh, So you can find me. And then I'm on Twitter. I hang on Twitter. That's my space. Kelly underscore Carlin. Come hang out with me on Twitter. I stay away from the politics for the most part, unless it's really pissing me off. But I I try to like kind of uplift and have interesting conversations over there. You are uplifting and everything you say is interesting. And I'm so glad that you came through. We will will put links to all of that um, in the show notes. It was such an absolute delight to hang out with you. I really hope that our paths will cross again. Let's make it happen, Kathy. Let's just say it will. And yeah, let's jump into something. Let's create some abundant magic out in the world. Oh, it's so cool. You're so gifted. And I feel like your parents are just right there cheering you on, just like from the other side, just so proud of you for taking every good thing about them and then adding this like extra, you're just doing them so proud. You're going to make me cry, Kathy. <laughs> but it's really, it's really true. Thank you. It's really, really, really beautiful. Thank All you. right. Have a gorgeous day. I've kept you long enough to be continued. It was just so fun talking with Kelly. I just love her just right away. Just 
want to be her friend. Here are the takeaways. Number one, we can all take off our masks. We're all just humans trying to figure it out in the end. It's through our humanity, obsessions, and curiosities where we find our divinity. Number two, turn towards yourself, witness yourself. Number three, choose, trust, play. Number four, be willing to improvise, to be in the laboratory of life, to throw spaghetti at the wall. In the end, it's all just information towards the next step. Number five, when you follow your longing, you will belong to yourself. Number six, we're not in charge. We're just here to shift energy and try things out. Experiment, find the conversation you're here to have. Number seven, build a better business, build a better you, build a better business, build a better world. And number eight, money is just an exchange of currency. It's a current, a flow of energy. The more you receive, the more you can make a bigger impact. Thank you so much for listening. I know that you've got so much going on and now it's the summer and people are traveling and kids got camp and they've got places to be and There's just so much and I so appreciate you. If you want to support this show, the very best thing you can do is subscribe and review the show and share it. Maybe you can email this link to a friend or text it to somebody or post it on your Instagram and tag me at kathy.heller. And you can also tag Kelly. She's at Kelly Carlin is here. I'm sure she would love to see that you guys found this conversation touching. And don't forget, we're doing a retreat in Malibu, August 1st through the 3rd. You can sign up at kathyheller.com slash retreat. It's going to be so good. I cannot wait to have that time together. And for those of you who want to be in my mastermind, that is actually starting in just about two weeks. It's a six-month program. It is the highest level program that we offer. We've had about 400 people apply. We've only taken a small, small fraction of that. And we've only offered spots to a very small fraction of that group. And we have a few spots left. So if you would like to apply, you can book a call at kathyheller.com slash mastermind, fill out an application, book a call, And um, then actually you get to come not only to the retreat in Malibu, which is included, but you also get an exclusive mastermind retreat just for the retreat women, which is going to be in November in South Florida, which will be beautiful. So if you want to get in on that, you can go to kathyheller.com slash mastermind. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Thursday. 